Hello, and welcome to the High Street Community Church Podcast. We're so excited you're learning alongside us, and we pray this message leads you closer to the Lord and others. High Street Community Church is simply a family of friends following Jesus. God bless you as you listen. Good morning. So I was this week at, um, part of the week at a, called a pastor's cohort up at Mount Hermon, a small group of pastors uh, gathered up there in our church. You were gracious enough, we didn't budget for this, but to send me there, and I'm going to go there four different times. And the purpose is uh, it's, uh, uh, put on by Western Seminary and Mount Hermon, and it's a pastor's cohort to help pastors thrive. And I said, hey, I'd love to do that. And you said, yes, you are going. We need you to thrive. So thanks for sending me. It was a great, great time. Um, we, uh, we focused on our emotional health this time. And so it was really getting into the heart and wrestling with stuff. And, and the CEO of Mount Hermon, Mike Romberger, who's preached here a number of times, he was leading a devotional time. He's kind of our host as we go through it, as he's been a pastor for many years. And he read this, um, read this verse um, Hebrews thirteen seventeen. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And he followed that up with, I bet you haven't preached that before. I'm like, I preached it last Sunday. <laughs> and went ahead and told the group that we're doing a series called Trusting Leadership and how we uh, are just going to look at what the Bible says about leaders, about following God, and about following the leaders that he's placed in our church, and looking at even changing the model of leadership that we have in our church. And another pastor in the group, a guy named PJ from Felton Bible Church, says we're working through that right now, working on uh, bringing our church into a model of plural leadership. And so um, he's, he's a, just a little bit ahead of me, and he's going, well, you got this to do and this to do. So it was neat to, to share that with those other pastors and to see that we're on track. And really funny to just put that right back in Mike's face to say, oh, you never preach on this. I'm like, I just preached it. It was pretty funny. Um, he's, he's a great leader and taught us a lot. Part of that um, time up there at Mount Hermon, they did something interesting with us during our, I don't know if it's our free time, but during the afternoon, they said, we want to take you on a, something called a canopy tour. And um, have you heard of this? It's a, it's a zip line thing where you're up, I don't know, what's the highest, Jordan? 150 feet? 150 feet. And if I could get a picture of this guy, look at this. Guess who our guide was? Jordan. He, he was our guide and did an amazing job. And... And there's a ton, I don't know how many guides are, there's tons of them, but I, I was thinking like, wouldn't it be neat if Jordan was our guide and, and we show up there and he's standing there and he's like, hey, I have to, here we're taking this group of pastors up on the zip lines. And I'm like, it's me, we get to do this. And so super excited. And um, what it is, yeah, you're, you're, you're zip lining, you can see in the background that's a different course, but you're up in those redwood trees and you actually go off of the road, you walk across a wobbly bridge, they've got you in harnesses and all this stuff. And, um, and then they get you on these platforms. They're, you know, imagine this big old platform right here with a big redwood tree right in the middle of it, okay? And so everyone's kind of like huddled next to the tree, even though the platform kind of goes out to here. And you're, <coughs> you're fully harnessed in. You, you know, you're wearing all that gear, the helmet and all this stuff. And um, Jordan's walking us through with his, his uh, co-leader, this guy named And they're walking us through this process. And we've done, I think, maybe one 
zip line, you know, like a shorter one to, from, you go from one tree on a platform and you, you zip line all the way to the other tree and then uh, the other leader unhooks you from the cable with, you have two of them on, so they put one on, a, on a, you know, an anchor and then take the one off the cable and then the other one on the anchor. So you're completely safe the whole time, totally fine. And they are really clear about, you don't touch anything, just do what we tell you to do. Very clear about that. And Mike uh, Romberger, he was on our tour, president of Mount Hermon. You didn't know that, which was kind of cool. But um, anyways, they're taking us through this tour, and they, they, uh, they said at one point, you know, they give you these little micro-challenges. If you want to do it, you can. If you don't, you don't have to. And, and most of the pastors, not all of them, but they're kind of like kind of near the tree, and they said, well, the, the challenge we have for this, I think it was the second platform, does anybody know what hang 10 is? Yeah. Well, as is, all the surfers are raising their hand, hang 10 is you, you put your 10 toes over the end of the board when you're riding a longboard along on a wave. So he says, anybody know what? He says, as soon as I hear the word hang 10, I walk right out to the edge of this platform. It's about 100 feet up. And I'm, I'm like, this is a hang 10. And, and everyone's like, what are you doing? You know? And I didn't even think twice about it. I mean, as much as I, as comfortable as I am standing right here, I'm standing, hanging over this thing, and they give you little tricks, and I'm doing, and I'm not even being like a show-off or trying to be all, hey, look at how, how brave I am up here, a hundred and something feet up, hanging my toes off the edge of the thing. They do these other things where you lean back, and it, it gets kind of, you know, would be scary, but I wasn't scared at all. I really wasn't scared. At, and I don't, heights don't really bother me that much, but the reason I wasn't scared is because my friend, Jordan, was in charge. I, I, they were unhooking and hooking things in, and, and I was literally just like, this is so much fun. I was free to enjoy the whole experience because I wasn't doubting that he was vetted, right? They chose him. They trained him. I wasn't doubting the equipment because my friend does this all the time and says it's fine. I felt completely safe. In fact, later, and I, I don't mind climbing trees and heights and stuff like that, but I was, um, how did I write this down in here? I was overly relaxed, not a thought at all. I was like, if, and I was later in the room, I'm like, that didn't even feel like I was high up. I was just like enjoying, you know, you go down these zip, zing, down these, these long zip lines over the creek, and it's, it's really high up. And I was overly relaxed. And I was thinking, there's something in there for us. There's some kind of spiritual principle that, that God wants to show me. And what came to me was this, is doesn't God want us to live a life almost overly relaxed? right? He does. There's nothing to fear. There's no, he's not going to drop us. We're not, our, the gear's not going to fail. Nothing's going to happen. Now, not nothing bad's going to happen. He's just going to be with us all the time, and he'll protect us, and he's got us, right? It doesn't mean I wouldn't get scared on those things, but I was totally safe. I was super relaxed. I was comfortable because God, in this case, my friend Jordan was caring for me, and I had faith in his leadership. That's what we're talking here about, um, leadership and trusting leadership. God does want us to be almost overly relaxed in a life with him. Let's pray. God, you are always with us. There's so many promises you've given us that are available to us. Because if you're for us, who can stand against us? Would you reveal this morning, as we look in your word, as we hear these um, stories, what it means to be a friend with you, and grant our church leaders who are and who remain friends with you. 
Amen. So if you pull out your notes in the bulletin, there's kind of three sections we're going through. The first section is we're going to look at four different people or groups of people in the Bible that are shown to be friends with God. So we're like, what does it look like to be a friend with God? The Bible's got lots of examples. We'll look at four of them. And then we're going to look briefly at um, kind of three tempting qualifications when it comes to leaders. And then we'll look at, um, look at I think it's five passages, yeah, with biblical qualifications. Uh, Grace, since the Chinese Christian Fellowship, you guys love the Bible. We do too. And as I was getting the, the slides ready with Jason, I think there's more scripture on slides than not scriptures on slides. I've got like two-thirds of the Bible in us this morning that I'm going to read, so put your seatbelts on in terms of liking Scripture. Um, so let's just dive right in. Um, the, the core definition, and there's a number we could use, but when it comes to talking about friendship, and here we're, today we're going to be specifically talking about friendship with God, that's the core foundational issue for a leader, uh, a Christian leader is to be friends with God. A friend shares the same heart, thoughts, um, and will. So they're kind of on the same track together. That's what we're after here. That's what we're trying to see. And these people, as we, as we walk through these uh, four people, they're friends with God. They're in line with God. They're connected with God. They're abiding, as Jesus talks about later. So the first person we're going to look at, and I want to give a little commercial before I dive into this. This is a book my, my friend Norm gave me. He's friends with this author named John Perkins, who's worked a ton in racial reconciliation I've done a little bit of work in high school. I went on a ministry trip to Mississippi. But he, this book is called He Calls Me Friend. If you ever want to read a great book on all kinds of things, but about friendship with God is, is, a, is a, a big portion of it. Friends with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Excellent book. I'm even going to be referring to some of his work out of here. Um, but I thought I'd hold it up to come up here afterwards and look at it. Really, really great book. Um, so these are the couple of characters that he talked about, and the way he talked about it was so helpful. So the first friend we want to look at, and the, the one that pops out probably the soonest in terms of specifically declaring them a friend, is Abraham. And in uh, 2 Chronicles 20, um, verse 7, it says, we have, oh, he has it there. Did you, not, did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Abraham's called a friend of God. Now, Abraham, here's what's kind of cool about Abraham, lots cool about Abraham, but he's a father of a nation. But he was chosen by God. He didn't do anything. There's, no, there's nothing we could see in Abraham that we know of that would be like, wow, he's awesome. He should be chosen by God. God chooses him. And that's, that's where a friendship with God often really, well, it does really start, is God chooses us first. He loves us. He wants to be friends with us. And so God chooses Abraham, not necessarily because if Abraham was so desirable or so great or, or wooed God into choosing him, but he just chose him. He chose Abraham, and then he um, directed Abraham. He says, I want you to leave everything and go to where I'm telling you to go. And Abraham does it. He leaves him. And then he says, you're going to be, you're going to be a, a, you know, a father. And Abraham's way too old to have kids, and his wife is, and they actually laugh at that. But God follows through, gives him a son. And then God um, asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. And he's this old man. He's like, I can't believe I have a son. And God asked him to sacrifice his son. It's a test. It's really, you could even say it's a test of their friendship. 
And I don't think it's so much of a test for God, it's a test for Abraham to know that he's friends with God. And he follows through, goes through the test, God rescues the son and instead gives him a ram, and it's a good picture of God actually will give his own son. You know, it's a foreshadowing of that. And ultimately, uh, Abraham is experienced his life where God kept his promises and he blessed Abraham. Not a perfect relationship. Abraham wasn't perfect, but he did. He would be marked as one who obeyed, who did what God called him to do. He was in relationship with God and described later because of that faith, because I believe, God, you're going to do what you say, and he put his life in his hands. He, he, put, his, um, he put action to his faith. And he was known as um, not only the father of a Jewish, Jewish nation, but he was friends with God. Then we can look at Moses. We see in uh, Exodus 33:11, also another friend with God. And it says this, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again to the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses had a rough start. He was actually supposed to be killed, and he was rescued. You know the story where he, he was put in a little, uh, little boat of reeds and then picked up by, by um, the Egyptian uh, princess and, and then raised by his mom. Then he, as he grew older, he had a passion. He realized he was Jewish, so he had a passion to rescue these people. His passion was misguided. He did it the wrong way. He killed somebody. Then he had to run away for, the, for his life. And 40 years in the desert. And then God initiated with the burning bush and initiated friendship with him and said, hey, here's who I am. I'm the great I am. I didn't say these words, but in a sense, I want to be in relationship with you. I want to be friends with you. And on that holy ground, Moses really began a deep relationship with God where ultimately he was called to fulfill that passion of rescuing his people and leading a nation. But the thing that's really unique about Moses is an instance that talks about his face glowing, right? His face was glowing. Um, It wasn't some kind of magic trick. It was because he was so intimate with God. He was talking with God face-to-face as a friend, ongoing, regularly, connected with God. And history shows, besides Jesus, he's the greatest leader of all time. Can you imagine leading so many people for so long, so well? He wasn't perfect. None of these people are going to be perfect. God's the perfect friend. We're imperfect. But he was one of the greatest leaders of all time, close friend of God, and you could mark it on his close friendship with God. He's intimate with God. He's telling them he's frustrated with God. He's, he's telling them he's frustrated with these people. He's excited with God. He's He's um, sharing God's word. He's teaching all these things that Moses is doing out of his intimacy with God. His leadership was great because he was a friend with God. And we look to David, and we'll read in Acts 13.22, the passage that talks about the unique thing that David's friendship with God was. And it's, um, let me see if I can find it here. Oh, he's got it. And when he'd removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. See how those go together? David's heart is chasing, he's a man after God's own heart, and and that's connected by doing what God's called him to do. Now, David didn't have that great of a start either. He had a bunch of brothers, and he was given the worst job of taking care of the sheep. And when Samuel came to pick a king, because he was told by God, hey, the, the king's going to come out of this family, 
he's looking at all the brothers, and they're probably all these good-looking, successful people, and David's out there, the youngest, tending the sheep. And you know that verse, God, God doesn't look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And David was known for his heart. And that's how he was chosen. But David wasn't just known for his victories. He was a great warrior. He did amazing things for God. But we also know David for what? His failures. He made some huge mistakes. One in particular with Bathsheba killing her husband um, and then really lying about the whole thing, cover up. Huge mistake as the king. But grace was his reset. See, it doesn't mean that great leaders don't make mistakes, and he, there was consequences to his mistakes, but grace was his re- reset so that he would stay in relationship with God. This is when he was, you know, his, his body was rotting away when he was not in connection with God. But when he confessed and says, I've got to make this right, I, I'm wrong, um, and he sought God because he first and foremost sinned against God. So a friend with God is not just known for obeying God, but how they act once they've disobeyed. Do you hide it? Do you cover it up? Do you just, I guess my friendship with God is off. David continued to chase God's heart in forgiveness, not just in obedience. One of the greatest kings was also a true, honest friend with God. A lot of times we've been talking about friendship, we're saying about these high qualities, but a good friend is someone that you can offend and work it out with, right? Then you know, oh, I know they won't just leave me if I act lame, or I won't leave them if they really hurt me. Can we work it out? David is an example of that. And then we talked about this last week, the disciples. The disciples are friends with God, and specifically with Jesus. And and Jesus talks about this in John um, chapter 15, where he says, Um, no longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. See, the disciples were initially called. It's it's a process. We talked about this last week. They're initially called to be followers. Come and follow me. Taste and see. Come see what the deal is. See what I'm about. And then he started sending them out. So they went from followers to being sent out for him. And then he's saying it here. You used to be called servants, and the servant doesn't always know what the master's about, but a friend is in lockstep. The friend knows what what Jesus is doing, and a friend's like, I can do it whether he's here telling me what to do or away. I'm going to do his will. That's what he's saying to him, and Jesus is just about to go to the cross, and he says, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends, and it proved to be true. The disciples did what he wanted without the physical presence of Jesus' son there. They did it with the power, and under the power of the Holy Spirit, but they were friends. He properly gave them that title, and it was the truth. Jesus literally built his church on these friends. And he said, "Um, I'm going to lay down my life, and and a good friend lays down your lives, and these guys laid down their lives. Some of them, most of them, actually were killed. But they they gave their lives. They didn't live for themselves anymore. Christian leaders are first and foremost friends with God. Is, is the point been made clear? I know that's a lot of scripture. 
But we do, we do as people make a, a mistake sometimes. And I wanted to just list three tempting qualifications. When we're looking for Christian leaders, whether it's in the church or in organizations or other situations we find ourselves where we're, we need Christian leadership, so it's a, it's a ministry God's calling us to do or, or to have set up, and we say, oh, where will we find leaders? So we look for, this, this is kind of how we could do it wrong, I listed just three tempting qualifications. The first one that we might make a mistake of choosing someone to be a Christian leader is their giftedness. I mean, a lot of these you just look at, oh, you see celebrities. They're, this, they're attractive looking. They're well-spoken. They're maybe witty, those kinds of things. And we say, oh, I want to follow that person. They're an influencer. And, and there's nothing wrong with giftedness. These aren't bad things. Giftedness is a good thing. In fact, that having a gift of leadership is something you want a leader to be. But I'm talking about just natural giftedness, like you, you just naturally are good looking. People typically want to follow someone because what, what does that have to do with leading if they're just by their appearance, right? Or they're well-spoken. Boy, they can give speeches. That's where you, you, know, you think of an actor as someone that just can portray. And you, and you, you know, like you'll see some actors give, give um, endorsements for a politician, and they're so well-spoken, like, man, I believe that. That's, that makes a lot of sense. But they may not have any training in politics or national affairs at all, but they're just very convincing because of their giftedness. Be careful of that. It doesn't mean that they can't do a good job endorsing someone, but not just based on the fact that they're a gifted actor. That makes sense? Or they could just be, someone could just be plain brilliant, very, very smart. Doesn't qualify you. Right? The first and foremost thing that qualifies you is being a friend with God. If not giftedness, it could be resources. We want to follow a Christian leader because they are wealthy. They have a lot of money. You're just thinking they can get stuff done. They can, maybe they'll give me some money. Maybe they'll give the church some money. Maybe they'll, who knows what. Wealth is a resource. Or maybe they're very powerful. They have a position of of authority or, or maybe some political might, we think if we could get that person to be in charge or be a leader, then we'd be well off because they can get stuff done. Or maybe they're just really connected. They know all the right people. Again, these aren't bad things in and of themselves. They're just not qualifications to be a leader. You don't pick someone because they're a successful businessman. It, it, that's good. It might, might portray good qualities that they have, but you don't just pick it because they're wealthy or they know people. Those aren't qualifications for Christian leaders. Or maybe another qualification that came to mind is maybe they have a lot of potential. Their, their growth rate is really fast and high. Like, this person's going to be somebody someday. We should get our hands on them and put them in a spot. And that's good that their growth curve is, is rocketing up fast. It's really great, but you want to be patient. Even the Bible says, hey, go slow. Don't just rush people into leadership right away. Give them time. Because these qualities that we're going to look at in a second here, most take a while to show up. Patience. How would you know patience? By taking a while. That's the only way you'd know. It just takes, patience takes patience. What other qualifications? My, I'm not asking you to answer out, but there's many qualifications that we might be fooled into thinking this would be it. And we want to be careful because there's, the Bible is loaded, and we're going to go into that now, loaded full of examples. And they all would fit. They would all fit under that theme of being a friend with God. Because if you're a friend with God, you're going to be in lockstep with his will. You're going to be in lockstep with his heart and his mind and his thinking, right? That, that simplifies things. But let me go through some scriptures now. The last part of our message is a bunch of scriptures um, to show us biblical qualifications. Now, granted, I told you last week that I did my 
uh, I was preparing this message, and I'm like, is this too much? Can I do this to these poor people? Just load them through all this scripture. And that scripture is great, so I thought, no, it's good enough to do this. But I love studying this stuff. So um, we have a potluck, so if we go a little long, you'll be okay. You'll get your salad and your casserole. I don't think we'll go to, I think we'll fit it. So Exodus 18, I could, the reason I say that is I could preach a whole sermon on each, I could preach a series on each one of these passages. They're so good. I get all excited. Exodus chapter 18, here's what's going on, is Jethro, who's the father-in-law to Moses, visits Moses while Moses is out leading these people, and, and um, he just came to visit. And he's, he watches Moses do, do his leadership. He's, Moses is kind of being a judge and arbiter between conflicts and different stuff. And there's like well over a million people out there, and Moses is the only one doing all this stuff. Jethro watches him and celebrates with him, encourages him, has a meal with him, and then later, Jethro, he's just there for like three days, he gives him this advice. You know, after a compliment, encourage him, it's good to be with you. You know, father-in-laws have such a way of giving good advice. And here's what happens. I'm going to read um, verses 19 to 22. Uh, Jethro says this, Now obey my voice, I'll give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their case to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and laws and make them know in the way which they must walk and what they must do. So he's like, Moses, here's what you got to do. You be in charge, you teach God's ways to the people, tell them what God really wants. Um, But he says, moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Because he said, you're exhausted, Moses. You're doing everything. And by the way, the people are exhausted. You think waiting in line at Disneyland is bad? Imagine waiting in line to see Moses, and he's got to hear every single case. It would be exhausting. The people are getting worn out. It's not a good design. He says, you've got to multiply. You've got to give people that are capable to do what you're doing, and you can take the hard cases, but share the ministry, share the leadership. Well, don't just share it. Make sure that they have these qualities, qualities that, they're, um, that they fear God, trustworthy, don't take a bribe. Don't take a bribe. <laughs> don't take a bribe. <laughs> Delegate. They were trustworthy and God-fearing. Then we look at Acts chapter 6. So this is um, in, in the book of Acts, the church is just starting out, the church is growing, and there's, um, the problem is, as we get to Acts chapter 6, it wasn't just Jews that were coming to the church, it was all people were coming and being part of the church, and there was a significant amount of Greek people that were in there, and some of the Greek people said, hey, our widows aren't getting covered with, you know, not given enough food. So they're, they're spreading out this food, and then the, so the disciples are giving out food to people, and they're, they're like, we got a problem here. We don't have time and energy as the church grew so much to take care of everybody in these physical ways. So there was a conflict in their role. And looking at verse 2 of chapter 6, the disciples said, um, got everybody together, they said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out, brothers and sisters, pick out from you, among you, seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So the leadership said, we shouldn't just be handing out bread if it's going to keep us from doing um, preaching and praying, right? 
So that's one of the roles that we have deacons here, is deacons are administering and taking care of the practical issues of the church, because if I, Danny, had to do all that stuff, I wouldn't be able to get up here and preach very well. I wouldn't have time to pray for us all. I wouldn't, because I'd be doing the things that I shouldn't be doing that someone else should be sharing in the duties. That's again another idea of, of plural leadership, is sharing the load here. Read with me verse 7. It's so good because they had this conflict, they needed to delegate leadership, and then here's what happened. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. We want our church to grow. We want to share the blessings that God has given us, and one of the best ways to grow is obey God and say, hey, let's have the right people doing the right things. I love that it says, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So these are Jewish priests initially in conflict with the Christian faith. They saw the Christian faith in action where they're taking care of everybody and people are doing the right things and the church is thriving. And even the priest said, that's the right way. Jesus is right. They're, they're validating Jesus' claim and his lordship and they're joining the church. They're coming to faith because they did something right. As we follow God's call for us how to set up our church, how to lead our church, and we're all doing the roles he's called us to do, God would love to bless us even more than he already has. Just like he's blessing this church, a great number of people multiplied. More people will be saying yes to God. Even, um, I'll go over it real quick, but Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit. What's the test of knowing whether someone's a friend with God? I have a Fruit of the Spirit. I have a fruit, you know, I've, I've told you this before. I planted a bunch of fruit trees by our house this last spring, and one of them was a peach tree, and it has a fork. And it's, a, it's one of the biggest fruit trees we have. It's already grown pretty big, had leaves all over it. Anyways, one of our, I think in November we had some pretty big storms, and it fell over. Oh, bummer. So I went down in there, and I, pull, I was pulling it back up. It was just so much rain. The soil was just mushy water, and I'm pulling it up, and it, I was so bummed, like, oh. So I, I you know, pulled it all up together and, and tied it down with ropes and took duct tape and, and put it together. And I'm like, please, please make it, you know. And, and it looked great for about two weeks. And then if you look at it today, half of the tree is straight dead and the other half is alive and fine. And which half is abiding? Yeah, that's how it works, is as we abide, we get fruit. I have a, I'm going to have to just saw it off. But if I left it up all spring and waited till fruit, one side would fruit, the other side would not. This is simple. That's why I love this picture of abiding. Jesus says, abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing, he says. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, peace. That's a peach. It's a peach tree. <laughs> peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Verse 25, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Leaders, if you're just wondering if a leader is friends with God, are they fruitful or not? Is this fruit hanging on their tree or are they just a bunch of leaves or dead leaves? That's what we're looking for when we're looking for leaders, another qualification. Then I'm just going to do this. Again, I could preach on all these things, but um, we do have actual qualifications listed out for church leaders in 1 Timothy and also in Titus. And instead of um, 
instead of preaching on each of these, I'm just going to read them and I want you to listen to them. So 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7. Kind of a longer list. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be of the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall in the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, servants, ministers, likewise must, you got me, likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives must likewise be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. That last verse, we could put that back up there. We go over this stuff with the deacons, the first um, meeting we have of every, uh, in January, we're about to have this meeting, and, and that's the blessing. You serve well as a deacon, you get a good standing for yourselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. That's been the fruit I've seen of deacons as they serve. They say, man, I really feel strong and grown in my faith in this role. That's a blessing that God promises that he gives as serving that role. And then let's look at Titus. 1, 5 to 9, where um, he's told to appoint, go to these towns and appoint overseers. So pick these people and put them in charge. And this is why I left you in Crete. So you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I direct you. Going to these churches, looking at the church, who are the overseers to be, who is qualified, and then the pastor was appointing these overseers. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also be able to rebuke those who contradict it. Whew, that's a lot. Let me ask you this. Would you want leaders less qualified than that? What would happen? You've maybe even seen it. What would happen in our church with people that hit some of those bad qualifications or lacked some of the strong ones? Now, we go over these, again, we go over these qualifications as one of our meetings with the deacons. And we wrestle through these and we, we confess, you know what, I'm not doing this one well enough or I really want to seek this. And we encourage each other, you have this qualification, you're doing well. We take this stuff serious. We want, we want our church to thrive and it, it thrives. As the leaders are healthy, the church can be healthy. And God's been gracious to give us all these qualifications 
to aspire to. And again, you can't do it. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But you can trust God's friendship, and then he will um, give you that fruit. That's the way it works. Conclusion. And I made this point at the start. But just as Jordan, he's been vetted, he's been trained, and he was assigned as my leader, so you have leaders that have been vetted, that have been trained in ongoing training, and are assigned, and I'm one of them, as a leader to you. But it's your call to be one of these people that's hugging the tree and fearful, and the the pastors were, were great, they went for it. But I'm sure some people on your canopy tours don't enjoy the tour because they're so scared. They're not trusting their leadership. They're not trusting their equipment. They're just trying, and some of them probably quit. That's the same thing in the church is, again, we aren't perfect, but trust your leaders, and then you enjoy your role. Have a blast. Be almost overly relaxed as you participate and enjoy being in God's church. So I've got some questions that will lead us into communion. Thinking back at those characters that we looked at, and the question is this, how is your friendship with God? It's important that we examine this stuff in light of our church, but now I want to get, get personal with you. As we're, as we're, again, we're headed into communion, it's always important to just check our friendship with God. We think of Abraham. Are you willing to follow God anywhere he calls you? Maybe he is calling you. It doesn't have to be a physical move. It could be you know, some area that he's just leading you, and you're like, I, don't, I can't see how that's going to work out. That's where trust comes in. Abraham trusted God and did what God called him to do. Something holding you back because you're not willing to follow God. Or maybe you can identify with Moses. And um, Moses, in a sense, exemplified that he was close to God because he was face-to-face And maybe you're feeling, I'm not feeling that. My face is not glowing. My face is downcast. And it can be repaired simply by spending time with God. And like you're spending time, the best times in my walk with God have been when I'm just sharing almost irreverently how I'm doing, what I think about God, and listening to him share back in the same way through his word or through his spirit, is be face-to-face with God. And if you're feeling distant, if you're feeling downcast, that could be your, your solution is to say, I want to be like Moses who regularly just went and spent time freely, intimately with God. Learn from Moses. Or what about David? There might be something, in it, and, and the Spirit does this well, there's something that comes to mind right now, some area of sin, some, some mistake, some miss, some straight-out rebellion. Forget you, God, I'm going to do it my way. I don't care if this is wrong, I'm doing it. There may be something that comes to mind right now that you need to uh, confess to God. Your friendship with God is blocked because of sin, because of something you've done wrong. And we can learn from David to, to face that, not in his own power, but to face it and say, God, I confess I've sinned against you, and God is faithful and he's just to forgive you. It's not based on how great you are, it's based on how great he is. That's how grace works. One of the pastors used this phrase. He says, yeah, I live my life by a grace reset. Find myself out of bounds, find myself in a bad spot, and I just get to start right over because of not who I am, but just 
employ God's grace and say, God, forgive me. And he's in right standing with God, as right as you can ever be. Now, there's often consequences that we need to work through and growth we need to have, but you don't need to be out of step with God. Grace reset. It's available for us. So learn from David. You can stay in relationship with God. You can keep a friendship with God, even though we sin. Or maybe you identify with the disciples, following to the point where you lay down your life. Look at your heart. Say, am I willing to, to do whatever? It's ultimately, am I willing to say yes to God? That's the call. And it's not a yes to God to, to losing. It's a yes to God to gaining. It's not a, a yes to God to dying, although dying to yourself, but it's a yes to God to living. Who doesn't want to live? The creator of life is offering us life if we'll but say yes. That's the invitation. So as you, as you prepare for communion, think through those things. Is it a friendship with God? How is my friendship? Where are we at? Do a little business with God, whether it's confession or willingness to say yes to enter in what he's called you into. And then partake. Partake. And I had this one last little thought that I'll share. And if our servers would come forward to serve communion um, right now as I'm sharing this. But do you remember those? They're pretty popular at camps now, but I want to say 20 years ago, it started to get popular, those things called friendship bracelets. You see kids just braiding these things madly. Now they make so many, they just give them out. and like, I got 20 of these things. What do I do with them? Um, friendship bracelets. The purpose of a friendship bracelet is to remind you of your friendship with God. Isn't communion like that? do this regularly like oh yeah I'm friends with God oh I need to do a little business with God to maintain my relationship with him I want to remember what he's done remember who he is and remember who I am that's what communion is let's pray father thank you um, for your word you love to be friends even friends with sinners. And you've made a way through Jesus Christ for all of us, every human on earth can be friends with you. Thank you. Thank you for the examples of these people. Thank you for scriptures detailing it out. Thanks for our leaders in our church who are and are committed to continuing being friends with you. Bless us now as we pause to remember you in communion. In Christ's name. Thank you for listening to the High Street Community Church weekly message. We hope you were encouraged to follow Jesus. For more, please subscribe to our podcast or visit us online at hscchurch.org.